0: Hey folks, we have some exciting news to tell y'all about. The Bad Rolling Project has partnered with Expedition 44 and Rival Nations to start the one-of-a-kind No King But Christ Network. This network will consist of content creators with the focus of Jesus as King and no other. For more information, visit Network.com.
1: Now back to the show. Welcome to the Bad Roman Podcast. On this show, we talk with veterans, community leaders, Christians, and non-Christians as we explore the entanglement of Christians with the state. The Bad Roman Project was created out of the firm belief that as Christians, we are called to follow Christ, not the state. Here is your host, Craig Hargis.
0: Hey, folks. During the course of this project, we get episode requests from listeners, which we absolutely love and appreciate the listener engagement in that regard. We do our best to fulfill all these requests as quickly as possible, and sometimes it takes longer than we would like, and today's episode is no exception. I have Bad Roman contributor M. Manali on the show, back on the show, and also Darren Freidinger, who actually suggested today's topic. Today we're going to discuss the foster care system. Right.
1: how are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm happy
0: to be back on. Yeah, we had a fantastic conversation last time around about the uh, article you wrote for our blog. It was it was a really good conversation. We had fun with that one, I think. I did. <laughs> I hope you did as well. I did. And I'm hoping that this next one gets a lot of traction as well. Yeah, I, I think it will. It, 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 we got some good feedback on that article. We got some really good feedback on it. I appreciate you taking the time to to help us and contribute to the project. Darren, you're new to the show, so why don't you give us a little background of yourself so the the listeners can be familiar with you?
2: Sure, I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Uh, My name is Darren Friedinger. Like you said, I'm uh, married. uh, Been married for almost 19 years. Got two adopted daughters, and we're currently fostering three other kids currently. Uh, So that's the size of our family. I'm from Illinois, born and raised here for the most part moved around a few different places uh we can get into some of that as, as we get into the show as that's helped shape my uh worldview quite a bit actually the the places i've been and things i've gotten involved with but uh glad to be here and i love what you're doing with the bad roman project it's near and dear to my heart because I, I think uh, your story pretty well uh mirrors mine Craig as far as when I got into this and how I got into this with the 2016 election and all of that so
0: it's it's really interesting talking to folks on the show that how close all of our stories really are when it comes to like be, becoming an anarchist and what path we took to become an anarchist and I, I love hearing these stories from folks because it reinforces what I believe like when I when I first came to this understanding, I thought I was a lone man. And I talk about it on the show all the time. I thought I was running around by myself like I just discovered something new that I need to run out and tell everybody about. <laughs> well, it turns out there's a bunch of us out there, you know, but I think we're g I think we're growing. I think we're uh there's more and more people kinda of latching on to what we're talking about and they want to understand now other people are like y'all are a bunch of lunatics. Y'all are crazy. <laughs> 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 but when you say no king but Christ, I mean it really, there really is no king but Christ. And that's what we're talking about. It's not it's not even so much about being an anarchist. It's just, we have one true king and that's who we follow. And that's who we, that's, that's our leader. You know, you, you hear some anarchists say, you know, God's no rulers, no masters. I'm like, well, you can say that all you want, but you're going to push a lot of Christians away saying that because we do have a ruler. We do have a king. We're not going to back down from that. And I hope other anarchists that are secular that they they will start understanding that better on RM because we're your ally we're with you you know when it comes to the state we don't need to be fighting about this
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly exactly
0: but this show is is happening because you sent us a message wanting to talk about this topic and anybody listen if you send us a topic i'm probably gonna rope you into coming on the show <laughs> and talking about this so just be fair warned because i'll get you on the show and we're going to talk about it if you want to talk about it you know something about it, i'm gonna get you on the show and we're gonna talk about it but why don't you start darren and tell us kind of your experience with this and we'll get on because i don't I, i'm very ignorant to this topic but i think it's an important topic that we need to have a discussion we need to have because I, it's not talked about that i'm aware of unless it's among y'all circles you know y'all probably talk about it with other folks that are familiar with it more but people like me that don't know anything about it i don't have any children but i've adopted three cats <laughs> so I
1: don't,
0: I don't think that's quite the same but I'd, I'd
2: like to think it's not the same but yeah i, I can understand that
0: <laughs> i tried to adopt a cat one time there's so there's so much red tape you got to go through just to get adopt a cat i'm like come on man these are homeless cats <laughs> You want to run it around on the street? I'm trying to give them a home. What's the problem here?
2: Yes, I I, I can give you stories on on the pet adoption side too. But uh, <laughs> well, let's focus on the kids here. <laughs> I talk about my cats enough. Yes, I I can understand that. So okay, but no, yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. And and a lot of this, I kind of came into it. Uh, I won't say being drug, but uh, uh, my wife had definitely had a heart for this. I won't say before I did, but but I'd say she kind of drugged me into this and to considering adoption and foster that kind of thing. And, um, not to get into the, as they call it, gory details of, of my life too much, but, uh, we were unable to have kids or it would have been very, it would have required almost a miracle of God for us to have kids biologically. And we tried some avenues to make that happen and it didn't happen. And we decided early on that we weren't going to go the in vitro route, that kind of thing. So we looked real seriously at adoption, um, and at the time we were living in North Carolina and we both knew that that was fairly temporary. So we decided to wait to, to get into the foster care adoption side of things until we moved back to Illinois where I'm from originally and where my wife had, where I met my wife and she had been living. Uh, so we all had, my whole family was in about a 40 minute drive of each other in the central Illinois area. A lot of my wife's family's in the same general area as well. So we knew we were going to come back to that area. So we waited, moved back, um ended up getting into getting licensed through Catholic Charities, which is one of the bigger foster adoption agencies. State by state, I think it's pretty big in all 50 states, but I know it varies each each state has their own agencies and the popularity of of each is is different. But uh, got into it with the intent that we wanted to adopt. There's different levels that you can get into. You get in with get into traditional foster care, where you're truly just being a place for the kids to be raised until their parents can be meet the necessary minimum requirements for them to re- get their kids back, according to what the state guidelines are. Uh, we weren't prepared to do that yet. We wanted to be fully adopted parents, and so you can get in. You can stipulate that you want only at-risk kids, which is basically kids for which their parents have had their rights terminated already, or their case is at the point where they are at risk of that happening. It basically means that those kids have been in the system for quite a while, or there's a very special case, whether that's abuse or whatever. I mean, there's dozens of special cases, that kind of thing that you can get involved with. But so we had kids, a couple of girls placed with us. They were six years old and four years old at the time. And we ended up having them placed with us, having them be with us for about nine months before we were able to officially adopt them. That was in 2009. And we Learned a lot in that process, um, especially going through Catholic Charities versus being licensed strictly through, in Illinois, it's called the Department of Children and Family Services, DCFS for short. But with Catholic Charities, there's a lot of paperwork. (laughs) I put it that way. A lot of paperwork. They will get into every detail of your life (laughs) as far as, I mean... Your intimate personal details between a man and a wife, and your family, your siblings—everything is fair game for them to look into and get information on. Not necessarily a bad thing in and of itself, because I understand they—they've got some. There's definitely liability there <laughs> that they're getting involved with. They want to know that the people that are getting getting into and are looking to adopt kids are are safe. They're well founded and. They they're truly getting into adoption and foster for the right reasons. That's commendable. However, it's it's very I don't want to say traumatizing, but it's it's very invasive is probably the best word to describe it. <laughs> so raise our kids, and my wife described it in the best way I've heard it described. Uh, getting kids at an age that are not infants, obviously six and four in our case is kind of like being thrown onto a treadmill that's running at full speed you're just doing all you can to try to catch up and figure out which end is up and to try to keep yourself upright as well as your kids making sure they're taken care of and everything else so it's a whirlwind when it for when it all happens and it's kind of strange feeling you're like you're waiting for waiting so long waiting to be Parents get the kid placed with you, and you're waiting, and you're just chomping the bit. All of a sudden, happens, you're like, "Oh, hey, wait a minute, time out! (laughs) I wasn't ready for this kind of thing." There's a bit of a herky jerky motion to the whole thing.
0: (laughs) Well, I know in the in the initial message you sent us, you you were, I think, one thing you wanted to talk about or try to figure out, and maybe y'all have an idea on this, but. Is there a better way to do this? Better way to adopt children than going through the state? Mm -hmm. And if we can try to maybe try and figure that out, I like I said, I'm ignorant to the topic, so I'm maybe there. There's got to be a better. I think there's always a better way than going through the state, in my opinion. I think they convolute too much stuff, and it's just like I said earlier about the red tape. But in wrote a book called Emily's Tears, and he sent it to me to read to kind of prepare for this little bit, and. It's a, it's a very short read, very quick read, but it's very, very detailed of what he has been through, him, him and his wife has been through as far as this is concerned. And Ann, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about your story? Okay.
1: Well, we kind of backdoored into fostering because we were in Michigan at the time and my wife was doing a jail ministry and a woman was arrested for doing drugs and in a drug house and found out she was pregnant when she got to jail. And so because my wife was going to the prison or the jail weekly, and so she approached my wife and said, would you guys watch my child when it's born and I will give you power of attorney. And we were like, we had talked about fostering for probably years. My wife had been wanting to do it for 20 years. And I had been not ready to do it. And I was at this point now, I was getting to the point where I was like, you know what, let's do this. Our son had already grown up, was at that point, was just about to graduate college. And so for me, I was like, okay, I think I am ready to do this. Let's get into the foster. And then this situation landed right in our lap. And so the the mother of the child that we ended up getting was convicted, went to Ypsilanti, had a couple of year sentence. And... Gave birth in December. We had, now we were approximately 12 hours from Ypsilanti, where we were at in the upper peninsula of Michigan. And so we knew that they couldn't tell us when she was going into labor and going to the hospital because she she was a prisoner. And so some kind of a person, like a guard, kind of let us know, dropped a hint that uh, you're going to be getting a phone call here shortly to come pick up a package. And so this was the middle of December and we got that phone call. And so we drove, you know, we got, they actually got left church, finished church, drove down. It was a long drive, driving snowstorm, drove through Illinois. because The bridge was closed to get back to lower Michigan from where we were at. So we had to drive down through Wisconsin and Illinois to get over to Ypsilanti. We arrived at the hospital, which closed at 10. We arrived there at like 958. So I sprinted into the hospital to grab the doors before they locked. And then my wife came in behind me. We found we meandered our way up to where the the baby was. We walk in there, you know, and the floors are dark because it's past visiting hours. There's nobody there except the patients and the nurses. And so we walk in and I don't remember what floor it was. And there's this dark room and a baby just sitting in a like a box in this room. And we're like, well, that's clearly got to be her. And there's some nurses at the nursing station. And we gave who we were. And they're like, yeah, you can't. And, and they're like, she's right there. And they're and we had no paperwork. We had nothing. And they're like, yeah, that's her. And we're like, do you have any, uh, you know, formula, anything? And so they had some stuff on hand they gave to us. And we had friends that didn't live far from there. And so we grabbed this child and walked out, of the, and as we're walking out of the hospital, I told, I said to my wife, I was like, "It feels like we're kidnapping a, ch- a baby, yes, <laughs> because we just showed up with nothing, and we're walking out with a baby." And so we get her in the car, and you know, we we had got a, a car seat and everything, and we go to our friend's house that lives nearby, and we stayed there for two days to try and just you know get her ready and acclimated before heading back. And by the, I want to say it was. When we were returning back home, we received a phone call from the Upper Peninsula in our area code up there. And it was a DHS worker saying, do you have a baby? And we were like, yes, (laughs) we do. And they're like, we, a bunch of nurses called CPS concerned that a child was being taken. And I was like, yes, we did. We took her. We have power of attorney, but we didn't even have, I don't know that we had the paperwork for it. It was just something we had. And so he's like, well, I'm going to need to talk to you guys when you get back into town. And so we set up an arrangement and we started and we went and I think he came to our house and the power of attorney was sufficient. We were able to keep the child with power of attorney. And he's like, the thing is with, with only a power of attorney, the mother can terminate your, you know, ability to have the child at any time. And so we highly encourage you to get licensed so that the child then becomes a, a real ward of the state. And, and I, looking back on it now, I think that's really what they wanted. They wanted the child to be enrolled in the system because that opens up all kinds of other things. And you know, there's an entire industry built around kids that are in the system. And so the mother, because what we, well, we later found out had many other children that had been taken. She was savvy to all of this. And so by using the power of attorney and giving us her kid, it avoided the entire state. And so we just had this child on power of attorney, but being, you know, we were trying to do the right thing. And so we ended up getting going through all of the classes and getting licensed. And that took, you know, it takes a while to go through. And it's just as invasive. We went through the state and it's just as terrible as the And here's the thing, you're, you know, Craig, your question about how can how can we do it better? Well, we can't do it better as long as the government controls it from top to bottom because they have created and made it such a mess that it is. Um, I mean, I've been, I know where you, well I have a pretty good idea where you live, Craig, because I was in Nashville fairly recently and I saw billboards there saying we need foster parents. I went to a barbecue restaurant. I saw a thing on my placemat that said we need foster parents. I drive through Virginia where we're living now. I see billboards all over. We need foster parents. Why? Because they abuse foster parents. And foster parents, once you get licensed and get kids and are in on the system, you really see the inside of the belly of the beast. And many foster parents who do it for the right reasons end up leaving it because they don't want to be a part of it anymore and part of hurting kids when they're trying to help them. And so it, it's a tough deal. Now, so that's how we ended up getting into it. And then, of course, there's a whole lot more going on with it. Do you think they do that on purpose,
0: intentionally, to kind of discourage people from adopting kids? Because, like I think you said, you they want them to be a part of the system. So, do you think they're doing it? On, I don't know if that's the right uh, language used, but it's a, you would think that this would be like you said. You see billboards and, and stuff. Well, if they're encouraging it that way, then they're making it so difficult for somebody to adopt a kid.
1: What's I don't understand. Well, they go ahead. They get money for adopting them, and so there's a there's a time limit upon a, a TPR, which was just mentioned. You know, when the the parent parental rights are terminated, the whichever the agency is in the state has a they're supposed to appoint a adoption care worker almost immediately, and that adoption care worker then spends the next 30 days to assessing either the, foster, you know, finding a a parent for a permanent placement. And so they do want the children to be adopted if the parent parental rights. I mean, here's what, here's where one of our primary issues with the foster care system was the amount of stress that they had of returning the children to their parents, returning the children to their parents. I'm like, in some instances, I have no doubt that that's the best course of action. And, you know, sometimes just things get caught up and kids can definitely go back and not have a problem. But oftentimes, the last place that kid needs to be is involved in the family that has created the circumstances that got that kid taken from them in the first place. But if you talk to anybody that works in the child protective services and that entire industry, they they, they have been so brainwashed to say, return to the parents. The first order is to get them back to their parents. And and so what they have done is created an industry. I mean, they have people's jobs after job after jobs are lined up. that get paid because of the children in the system and the parents that have to go to classes, sign up for this, sign up for that, do this, do that. The kids have to go to classes, be trained. And so entire industries have grown up to facilitate all of this happening. And so it's pretty shameful when you're inside of it. And now I've only known my personal story and that's, you know, mileage will vary because we know a lot of other foster parents that have had great experiences with it. And so I say mileage will vary (laughs) and it will change by state and it will change by locality. I would argue that where we were at was highly corrupt and it was not fun to be a part of it. Now we did get licensed in Kentucky or we stopped right before getting licensed because when we realized You know, no matter what we do, the state still controls it, even though we were going through the, uh, oh, boy, the the Baptist organization in Kentucky. They have a, I don't remember what it's called now, but they, they also have an adoption wing in Kentucky. And we went through them and did all the training, and we're about to get licensed and start fostering again. And I was like, but the state still signs the paperwork, and the state's the ones that still do everything. And I said, I'm not ready to deal with the state again. And we pulled out and didn't do it again in Kentucky. My wife just told me today, she's like, you know, let's start fostering here in Virginia. Let's, let's get the ball rolling. I'm like, oh you know, just because you open up your entire life to the last people in the world that should have access to it, so that you can get a child and help them. And it and it, it is painful.
0: I can only imagine. Have you have you guys ever seen the movie uh, Instant Family? Yes, I have. No. It's got uh Mark Wahlberg. I had never heard of it, never Knew anything about it, but I, I I I tend to fall asleep with my TV on, and I woke up Friday afternoon, and there was a movie playing, and I'm going through my phone checking messages and stuff, and I I can hear it, but I'm not really paying attention. But about halfway through it, I start paying attention to it. It's kind of funny this show was on leading into this conversation today, but <laughs> it ended up being a really sweet ending to the story. But they had these three kids, and then the the mother ended up getting clean off of drugs. And wanted the children back. And the oldest daughter wanted to go back to the mom. The other two younger kids didn't want to go. They wanted to stay with their foster parents. And the the judge ended up ruling in favor of the mom. And then on the day that they were coming to pick the kids up to bring them back to the mom, the mom decided she didn't want to do it anymore. she couldn't do it. She felt like she was being forced into it. Like she couldn't handle it. And the the two caseworkers that were involved, they said it was obvious that she was using drugs again. And she told the daughter that, and it freaked the daughter out. But I'm just, I don't know if that's an experience that you guys have dealt with because you spend so much time with these children, you know, and invest in your lives with these children. And then all of a sudden the state can come in and be like, no, we're taking them back. It just seems really, really, uh, really sad that they had that kind of power to, I mean, that can't be good on the kids either. I mean, I'm sure it's hard on the, on the, on the foster parents and, you know, and, and the original family as well, but I can't only imagine what it's doing to the children. You're being tossed around like that. I mean, that's that that could screw a kid up pretty easily. I would think.
2: Yeah, that movie you're speaking of, Instant Family, it, they do a good job of showing the uh, roller coaster of emotions and just the ter- utter turmoil that <laughs> you go into when you get into foster care and adoption. Um, there were some liberties taken with the movie, as you might imagine, there would be, but it, it did a really good job of showing that. And uh, as Anarchists or voluntarists—the idea of of the state coming in and taking kids from families is abhorrent to me. It just sets my teeth on edge to think about it. But at the same time, I know we live in the real world, and just it it exists now, and so. There's got to be the, my view on it is yeah, I agree with, with everything you said Ian there's there's definitely abuses and it's horrible in some cases what what goes on and and as far as I know, that may be the norm. Our experience has been fairly has been pretty good actually the people we've we've had to work with were have been really good. all that being said though, if there's a way we can get away from the state doing this, I'm all for it and I know there are some private organizations that do some work and I, I'm an analytical person by nature. And so I, I like to look at things like, okay, well, how can we fix this? Cause this is not working. What they're doing now, it's, it's coming in after the fact you take example of kids are abused by a family. State comes in to pulls the kids out after an investigation, presumably and place them with a the family. Okay. My mind is like, okay, well, how do we stop that from happening to begin with? And that's what I don't know. Short of I mean, it's got to be community-based because obviously, you know, a collective or a a top-down type of scenario like we've got now is not helping because you can't blanketly apply anything and have it work in every case. So it's got to be locality or individual basis type of solutions, and I don't know what that looks like.
0: Well, let me ask you something, then, because you said there's private organizations that you can adopt through. Is that separate from the state? Or is the state still involved with that in some fashion?
2: If if it's going to adoption, it's always going to involve the state because that's you're talking with legal documents and you're basically saying, OK, now this kid is mine. So it's going to have to go through the court system at some point, no matter what. The organization I'm thinking of, I believe is called Safe Families, and it's basically a system or organization where families that know they are struggling and having issues with their kids, and it could be anywhere from faced with abuse or neglect or whatever it may be, but but the family themselves know that they're being overwhelmed, uh, whether it's resulting from loss of job or whatever it may be, death in the family, they come to this organization and say, I need help. And there are families within that organization that are willing to come in and even take the kids for a while and help them bridge the time where they need to get back on their feet. And the state is not involved in any way. It's it's a charitable organization, basically, is what it is. And I love that concept. The only issue I see with it is it's as far as I know, it's all pretty much through churches or local local places like that, houses of worship. And that right there is going to, I think, eliminate automatically eliminate some of the people who need this kind of care the worst from even setting foot in the door of a church. So I, I don't know how to how to bridge that gap.
1: One of the challenges. And I don't have an answer for what you know what you're describing there. That you know, I'm my wife and I talk about this all the time. One of the issues is by the time you get to foster care or parents that are struggling and kids, you are so far down the line mm-hmm. of where things, you know, it's not this didn't just happen, it wasn't the beaver clan, and then you know, the next day all of a sudden it became, you know, insert bad family. There was struggles that have gone on. And so at any time during any of those struggles, you know, decisions were being made bad, 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 bad. And then eventually it blows up to the point that this happens. And that's where the state gets involved. So I'm thinking we have to get further upstream because if we can somehow get upstream where there are, you know, and obviously churches are going to be always be involved in this kind of stuff, but upstream where you can, you know, and some of this is, what circumstances are the two people that have brought this child into the world? Are they married? Are they working? Are they, are there classes, better parenting classes? You know, did, did they even contemplate anything before they just got married or did they, you know, put the, the cart before the horse got pregnant and then got married and then figure out, uh Oh, were they 18 and 20 and just didn't have very good jobs. And were like, you know, there, there's just so many things. And then, When you throw in, you know, generational abuse, and so my wife worked as a director of families in a pregnancy center, and the generational abuse is rampant. And so, like, I came, I would, I want to say, a normal family, and I never considered the types of things that happen in the world, and what, and the end result of that is there's going to be children that leave that family, and they leave them. And it's not that, you know, they, they're so far behind the eight ball and it's not those kids fault. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're just, they're behind that eight ball. They are, they've seen more things than most of us will ever see. They've experienced things that most of us, you know, hopefully never experience. And then they get ripped out of the one thing they do know which is that dysfunction Mm -hmm. and inserted into, you know, another dysfunction because we're all dysfunctional. (laughs) Yes. You know, some of us are slightly better at dysfunction, (laughs) but we're all dysfunctional. Yes. And so then they get put in that other family and it's, and they've got to accommodate that. And the other family's trying to accommodate them. And if, I mean, and so by the time we get to that, it's like, man, it's already too late. And here's the bummer of it. So when I was working for a newspaper up in Michigan, I would get, I signed up for all the feeds from the state government. The end result of almost every single person that touched Michigan foster care was within two to three years of graduating high school. If they graduated, they ended up being wards of the state in the prison system. And there's just a pipeline of going straight through foster care and into prison because, and it's not because those kids are failures. It's, they've experienced trauma that they can't recover from in a mm-hmm. simple manner. And foster parents, you know, like Darren and his wife, they're doing everything they can. We were doing everything we could, but some of those things are really hard to overcome. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's just, <laughs> I mean, I have to go into, I don't want to start evangelizing and talking about scripture and things and marriages, and but there's, we got to get in front of it to try and get any help, and even though there's always going to be broken families, so yeah, it's a tough deal.
2: Yeah, it it definitely is, and I. That's one of the things to, to kind of tie this into a, a subject that I know a lot of your recent episodes, Craig, have been about is uh, how how the church is not stepping up and being the church. I mean, one of the biggest things you can do to show that you are a, a follower of Jesus is loving widows and orphans. Well, foster care, you're dealing right with the orphans in, in a manner of speaking, at least. And I think the church as a whole, and I'm generalizing here, uh, so my local congregation I go to, I'm not calling anyone out specifically, but as a whole, the church has done a horrible job of getting involved in this. There are some congregations, some some churches that I know, even our local area, that are fantastic about having an adoption and foster care ministry where anyone who's at all interested, they, they have resources to go to and say, okay, yeah, here, we can help you. Here's where you start. Here's what you hear. This, this support group here can give you all sorts of information, that kind of stuff. And even in our little town here, i like I live in a town of 2000 people and we've got a really good network of foster families, family, adoptive families, families that have done it in the past and are no longer doing it, but are still willing to help and support that is what foster families need uh, that are going to get involved in this because it's, it's not something you just get into. Uh, you you mentioned Ian earlier about the, the training and the the classes and stuff that you have to go through to get foster licensed even in Illinois. I know it's a nine week class. Plus there's a bunch of online training you have to do on, in addition to that. Uh, it's, it's not fun, <laughs> but you got to do it. And so uh, you need support and it, it does a, it actually does a really good job of preparing you or giving you things to think about as you're getting into this to to prepare yourself for because these kids have been the subject in a lot of cases of trauma uh, even if they hadn't been born yet when the trauma occurred it still affects their their development and and just their being and that's that's going to cause issues, regardless of anything else. They're already starting, as you said, being behind the eight ball.
1: I have a great story of what happened when we picked up. Like I said, we knew friends that were down there. And so we went to, and this is what they did for us. Now, it was late that night, so we just went and took it, you know, and went to bed at our friend's house. The next morning, Tecumseh Missionary Baptist Church filled their entire sanctuary with diapers and formula and all this stuff. There was so much there, I couldn't even fit it in our vehicle. And so we ended up not having to buy a single diaper for about six months. (laughs) That's something that I mean, that kind of aid that they gave to us, because, you know, I was a church planter. We didn't have a lot of money and they loaded us up with so much stuff. And then there was all the little, you know, all the bibs and all that onesies, just everything. Now, and that was the most wonderful blessing that we ever And it was more than we could have ever imagined, but a church did that for us. And it it was amazing. We still talk about
2: it. I love hearing stories like that. Cause that's, that's the church being what, what Jesus is it to be. And I love that.
0: People tend to forget stuff like that. Like if you're not capable, if you're not able to adopt or foster, but you can help in other ways, just like what you were just talking about. And and I, and I encourage people to like, if, we want to help the homeless, and so we want to help these children and widows, like you're talking about, uh, Darren. But if you can't physically do it, you can do other things. You can give to these people. You can feed these people in a way. You know, you may not be able to take them into your home, but you can feed them, or clothe them, or, or get buy their kids some diapers. You know, it just it doesn't seem like much, but like, Ann just said, they didn't buy a diaper for six months. You can you can be helping. You can be. Mm-hmm a Christian and following Christ and doing what Christ instructed us to do by helping and it's, it may seem so small by buying a bag of diapers, but it's not, it's, it's, it's stuff like that, that people, I want, I hope people start to understand that better. You can help, even if it seems daunting to go out and, and help these folks, give them something, buy them some diapers, buy them some formula, buy them some baby food, you know, something. And I think that goes a long way and probably helping this situation get better. Yes. If people know that they have that kind of support, that they're going to be more encouraged to adopt children. If they know they can count on the church, like you were talking about, Darren, the church is, I'm hard on the church, you know, I'm hard on the church (laughs) on the show. So, but if they know that they're getting that kind of support from the church, like they're supposed to be getting from the church, then they're probably going to be more apt to go and adopt a child and take care of this child. If they can open up their home to a child.
2: Yes, definitely. And uh, another way, I mean, speaking for people that are in the midst of (laughs) the chaos, I mean, there's nothing a lot of us would like better than just to have a couple hours to ourselves. So just offer babysitting services. Just take the kids to the park for the the family or somebody. that. I mean, something as simple as that is just will resonate with people so much.
0: Yeah, and it it, it really encourages them. I think it encourages it. It's encouraging to people. Yes. And we need that. Maybe that's what we need to start doing is encouraging people to do this. It's the, even if the state's going to be involved with it, these kids need homes. Yes. Hey, folks, Craig here, and I'd like to let y'all know we are always looking for writers to contribute to our blog. I don't care if you have any experience or not. Two or three of our contributors had no prior experience writing, and it turns out they have a real knack for it. Our project coordinator helps them put the articles together, and she publishes them on our website, and Facebook page, and you will also have the option to come on the show and go more in-depth about your article. And send us an email at Podcast at gmail.com. We're having a blast with this project, and we would love for you to join us in helping promote it. Now back to the show.
1: The funny part about the state involvement is they even vet those people that will watch your foster child. You can't just, like, give your foster child to, you know, your uncle. They want to know who that person is and then they do a background check and they look at them. And and so that dissuades people from wanting to be further involved. And, and so it, it is a challenge. There's, there's so many hurdles that get put in place of doing this well because the state's involved. And so it does, we have to get the state out of it because with the state involvement, it can't be done correctly. And you've got all these urchins that just suck onto it and they're just, bleeding this system because you know they get more money. I went to court for a month or every month for 17 months. And the judge said at every single one of the hearings, we want to make sure that she's not on the county rolls. We want her on the state rolls. And that was his biggest thing. And so you know I'm just one person. There was a string of people that came in and out of there and his primary goal is to keep kids off of the county rolls so that it wouldn't be on the municipal you know, the local budget. Well, do you think he's actually going to preside over cases in a you know, in a proper manner if that's what he's focused on? It, it it just it would just burn me up because I would sit there and I'm like he's not taking into consideration what's best for this kid. He's only focused on the dollars and cents and how he can send the bill to somebody else instead of have it signed here. And it was a problem. And that was, and I'm confident that was part of the reason why the girl that we had from birth to 17 months was given to an aunt in another state because the minute she was given to another state to adopt, she was off Michigan's rolls, gone. They didn't have to worry about her anymore. Whereas we were in Michigan. And so even though we were going to adopt her and we wouldn't have had her on Medicaid, we would have had her on my insurance. They still didn't want her on the rolls because she'd always been you know, that label of a foster kid, and she would have been able to get into college and do all these things in Michigan because she was a foster kid. But when they sent her to a relative in Oregon, all that was gone.
2: Yeah, it's, there's definitely abuses in that. And I, it drives me crazy. Some of the (laughs) bureaucracy and red tape and everything involved and just things of that nature where, like you said, Ian, they're more worried about what it looks like to, on the books than it is about doing what's right for the kids. I, I do want to point of, uh, have a point of clarification there, at least where we're at in our, in our state, you actually don't have to be background checked or anything to, if you want to babysit the kids, uh, for us, at least, um, I, I like you said, i vary very state by state. Um, if you want to do overnight or beyond, I, I can't remember the time li- time limit, it's like, it might be eight hours or something like that. If you're going to be watching the kids, then they, you're right. They do need to be background checked, which that's, That's a whole other level of complexity of who you can (laughs) have your drop your kids off with. Right.
0: Well, how do they know if you're going to drop your kids off with somebody? I mean, do they got somebody watching you constantly, knowing where you're taking these these kids to? Or I mean,
2: no, it's. I mean, yeah, you could probably get away with it if if you didn't, if you wanted to leave them somewhere and not have them be a prey. But you're you're are you running the risk of losing your children if if you do this if you don't go by their rules? Exactly. If, if the birth family or, or the, or sorry, if the biological family finds out, or if the caseworker finds out you did that, then there's, it's going to come back on you. <laughs> so basically it boils down to just communication with your caseworker. And like, like I've said, our experiences we've had with all of our caseworkers have been really good. I know there are bad caseworkers out there. I'm, I, and I, Certainly would not take away or try to justify any of that. I just know, like you said, Ian, from my experience, we've had pretty good experiences with the people we've had to deal with. But there's always you can you don't have to dig far to find horror stories.
1: Well, my wife is a member of all these Facebook groups, and it is there's new families joining it every single day telling their horror story. And it, it is I mean, this is some painful stuff. And it's, you know, it's, it's our story repeated over and over again. Yeah. They had a child for this length of time and they were, they were told they were going to be able to adopt it. And then boom, child's taken and given to somebody else. And it just over and over and over and over again, it, it's some painful stuff out there.
2: It is it definitely is.
0: And I want to touch back on something that we started talking about with, the, with your book, you talked about the baby and where's this child at now? She's in Oregon with a biological aunt, and is that uh, is that a done deal? Because I know reading your book, I I didn't know if there was a, a way that you could you would be able to get her back or not. So is that that's a, that's a done deal?
1: Now I, they might call it something different in different states, but in Michigan, if you want to appeal, I think it's Section forty five or Section forty two. I think it was Section forty five hearing, and the beauty of that is you have a very narrow window to file your appeal on, an, on a decision. Now, the kid's already gone. They took our girl and flew her. They told us, uh, you, need, you get one hour to see her because she's flying to Oregon tomorrow. And then I was like, what? And she was gone. And so then we're looking, okay, and they're saying, but you can always appeal. You know, that was a big thing throughout the whole, the training and then the 17 months, they always said, well, you can always appeal if something happens, try to appeal. So here's the beauty of this. So I turned in my limited amount of gold that I had. I sold a bunch of other stuff, and then I took out a loan from my in-laws because we had to find a lawyer who would even take the case to appeal it. Because it's—I mean—you're it's, almost have no chance of winning. And so we did it. We spent a lot of money to file this appeal. Three months later, we had the court date because it just kept slipping. And so by that time, she's now been gone for. For five months, we have our appeal. Our lawyer did a great job. The beauty of it, and so you have what in Michigan is called an MCI. One person makes the decision on all adoptions. And so I don't know how many children are in Michigan's care right now. But back, you know, in uh, four years ago, three years ago, when we were involved, you're talking anywhere between four and 6,000 kids. You know, it's always fluctuating. And one person is in charge of making all decisions on where kids go. And so they're reliant upon all of the worker bees to give them good information. What we discovered, because we did an appeal, was the information that was given to the MCI who made her decision to take the child from us and send it to Oregon was an entire bag of lies. We were, She was told that we didn't socialize the kid. We just kept her at home, didn't take her. I'm like, man. She's at every church service with us. My wife takes her to work. She goes to business meetings. She's everywhere. We were told that we didn't feed her, that we, like, withheld food from her. And then just all this other just outrage. And we're like, where did you come up with this stuff? And so an entire satchel of lies was given to this MCI. I can't blame her for going, well, yeah, let's take that kid from those people and send her to Oregon. Those are terrible people. But here's the beauty of it. While they're doing that, CPS kept calling me and offering me more children. If I was such a bad person that they said all this stuff about, why are they offering me more Because they knew it was a lie. They had the, the, the adoption worker that they hired to do this. Boy, she's scandalous and she is pure trouble. And they knew it and she lied through her teeth. And so the MCI, the, the decision maker in Michigan, made the obvious decision and said, yeah, send her to Oregon. we got to get her out of this house. And that only came to light because we spent massive amounts of money to file an appeal. And at the end of the court, same exact judge that I've been in with 17 months, he's, he he looks at this and all this stuff, and the lies have been – the MCIs on, on the stand saying,
2: okay.
1: if I had known all of this stuff wasn't accurate, and didn't portray events on the ground, I very well might have made a different decision and kept the child here with the Manili's. And then the judge at the end, after all of it said and done, he says, you know, he loved to talk about how in his, I don't remember how long his his career had been, like 25 years. I've never had a decision be overturned. And he's like, if it was in my power, I would overturn this decision to send this child, and I would bring her back, but I know that that'll get appealed, and I'm retiring next month. And so our girl, because the right person was in the right position to make the correct call and bring our child back, but he didn't want his court record solely by an appeal. And so he said, even though this is a travesty, because he had seen me in court and my wife every single time, sauce around town, he only lived two blocks from us. We saw him all the time. You know, we were neighbors. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, this was what we left Michigan after this happened. We're like, we can't live in this town. CPS was three blocks from us, and the judge was two blocks from us. And we're like, we're not living next to these people ever again. And we packed up and left Michigan, went to Kentucky. The just the lies and the things that are happening. And now, again, mileage varies. I'm thankful that Darren has had a great experience, but that was not my experience. It's been ugly.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, <laughs> that, that's what I meant when I said, I know that uh, from all I hear, what we are experiencing is not the norm. And I, I'm thankful that I don't know God's providence or w- whatever it is that we've had good ones. Not, not to say that, I mean, we haven't had our struggles. I mean, there's been things about even our current situation. That I'm just like, are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> but that's neither here nor there at this point. I mean, uh, it, the bottom line for me is, there's kids that need help. They need, they're in terrible circumstances. If, if it means some discomfort for me to help, help kids that need help, that's okay. That's my cross to bear. And I wish there were more people that had that attitude not not to lift myself up but because I, I am no one special please hear if you hear anything i say in this whole podcast hear this I, we are no one special we are just have the opportunity and the means to be able to be a home for the kids that is the bottom line
0: well i think what you guys do and and other folks that adopt that take the children to their homes is very commendable though that's a pretty pretty big task to take on yourself you know you bringing in a child that you don't know their situation fully and how what they've seen and what they've gone through. And I think it's, I'm proud of you guys for stepping up to the plate and doing something like this. You know, and anybody listening that has adopted children and even parents that have their, their biological children, you know, that are taking care of them, you know, it's commendable. And I think y'all should be pat yourself on the back and be proud of what you've done because you're you're doing God's work and, and just keep it up. And we can keep fighting this fight and And keep talking to other people about it and and maybe make some headway in some fashion. Like I said earlier, just if you don't feel like you can do anything, give somebody something. Let them know that there's a support system out there. And the church really needs to step up to the plate on this. And and that they have to. They have to lead the way in this. The church has to lead the way in this. And if they're not going to, then it's not going to be helpful. And I feel sorry for how they'd be judged on that because, you know, Jesus was very, very clear about taking care of the little ones. And if you're not going, to, if you're not, if the church is not going to lead the way in doing that, they're going to. Be, I mean, I don't, I don't even know what would happen. I just can't imagine. It's very sad to me that the church cannot. I don't know. Like I said earlier, I'm pretty hard on the church, so I'm, I, I spend a lot of time kicking the church and other Christians around on this show. But it's just because of what I've
1: seen and hearing stories like this, and it's it makes me sad. There's great ones like like Darren was mentioning some churches in his local where we used to live in North Carolina, the church that my wife was heavily involved in before I married her and took her away from it all. They had a ministry where they used to go to the former Soviet states and they adopted a lot of people in that church. And that's big money when you're talking about going overseas adoptions. Mm -hmm. And they adopted a lot of kids out of the former Soviet states and brought them back here. And I mean, so there are churches that are doing it. And that are doing it great. But, like, you know, for instance, at this last church I was at, when we first got here, I brought this topic to the floor and said, We, you know, most of the members of the church were retired. I'm like, You got nothing but time. (laughs) You've already done it. You can start getting and filling this gap. Even though it's painful and it's hard, you can step up and fill this gap. You know, you don't have to get an infant, there's 10 year olds that need help. There's, you know, you know who never gets fostered, you know, who never gets adopted the 16 and 17 year old, because they're already got one foot out the door. And so that's where my wife and I, she wants to stay with the youngsters. But I'm like, let's get some 16 and 17 year olds and at least give them something where they have a place where they can say, you know what, it's Thanksgiving. I'm going to go back to what I call home and have Thanksgiving with those guys. So that's my goal is to to introduce at least a little bit of normalcy in a sea of just craziness because that's what a lot of these kids have is craziness and you know we're by far from perfect don't get me wrong but we can at least you know cook turkey and do stuffing and have a great thanksgiving every year
0: yeah yeah yeah. that's a good point it's something i don't think people talk about either is the older children that are being not being adopted you know and I'm not going to try and compare this to my cats, but that's what happens with cats. Too. People want a kitten instead of, an, <laughs> instead of an adult cat when they adopt them. You know
1: what I'm saying? Right. So- Kentucky had a good program where they had like a halfway house. I can't remember what they called it when a kid hit 18 and they're no longer, you know, they're many states. They're just kicking these guys out on the street and they leave foster care system and they go to the homeless shelter. Or they go start couch surfing, and I mean, you know, it's not a long road when you're couch surfing and you're looking for meals to start stealing. Yeah. And so in Kentucky, and I, I give them credit, they had like these ha- halfway houses set up where kids could go, and they would get them started, and they even had funding, where you know they would pay for an apartment for a little while, and then as a person got more work skills and transitioned you know, just like a halfway house, then they would start lowering the rent Mm -hmm. and it would be a gradual transition out of foster care and into the real world.
2: Yeah. Illinois is very good about that as well. I mean, (laughs) you say what you want about our financial situation and the way our state is run, it's (laughs) being run to the ground, but they do take care of the foster families or foster kids in that regard. They, they continue the, the funding and, for the kids get through foster care when they are adopted because they don't want it to be a deterrent for families to not adopt kids because then they won't be getting their their monthly checks for the kids because you know that's what would happen. People would abuse the system and so they keep that up and I mean it, they do a really good job of keeping the benefits there so it, it is not a deterrent to adopting kids. So what I'll say.
0: Well, let me ask you something you kind of brought it up. And before I let you go, I want to touch. I want to ask this because I've
2: heard of people
0: taking in children and into their homes, and they're getting—they're only doing it because they're getting paid to do it. Like they're—they're they're getting funded, they're getting paid to have these children in, and they just—it's like they just recycle these children back into these homes. Is that—are y'all familiar with anything like that going on, or where the, people are just doing it just for the paycheck?
2: I I know it goes on um, in our circles and the areas in the groups that we I'm a part of. It, it's that's not what's happening, obviously. Um, otherwise, I would be <laughs> stepping up and saying, "Hey, that's wrong, and, and you need to stop doing that kind of thing." Um, but at the same time, they're in dire need of people to have fo- to become foster licensed because it's a challenge to. They're having challenges even now placing infants. Infants are usually the easiest ones to to place because everyone wants a baby kind of thing. Um,
1: Don't tell my wife that.
2: <laughs> what's her number? <laughs> no, but but yeah, I, I know it goes on and, and it's kind of like the, the job situation now with people receiving all these unemployment benefits. It's a deterrent to people working. If you're if you don't have enough families to be foster care, you're willing to take anybody, and so there's it's that's a system that's ripe for for abuse and for situations like you brought up there, Craig. I was just kind of
0: curious how prevalent it is because I've just heard of it. I don't know anybody specific that's doing it. I just
2: I've just heard heard stories, and I didn't know how widespread it is. Usually, when that. It's when stuff like that has happened. From what I know about the system, uh, I don't know anyone personally who's done that or any direct stories of anyone that has. But I know it is usually when that happens. It's families that are just interested in fostering. They just want to get the get the check, raise the kids, spend as little as possible on them, and so they have money for whatever, and they're willing to take in as many as they can or as they physically are able to.
1: Now, I also don't know anybody that's just farming foster children for money, Right. but I will say where the, what I did was see and witness that was, I think, more prevalent is getting kids labeled with problems. And so if you get a child and you can get him labeled with some form of a disability, some kind of a learning disability, and then it opens up resources and the pay so like if you have a kid who is quote unquote normal you know i think in michigan it was around 300 bucks a month which by the way nobody's getting rich on 300 a month because children need a lot more than that <laughs> no. but if you added like every time you added a tick mark next to a block that a kid had special needs in this category this you know there was another 75 85 bucks thrown in there the problem with that is Sometimes that's probably real. I have no doubt that that is the case. Mm -hmm. But what we saw and witnessed were kids get labeled and then you're labeled. And, you know, it's not easy to get rid of a label because let's say you're living in that community and you have been given a label as whatever it happens that label is. Well, you're going to school with people and all of a sudden you're, you know, you're attending a special class because your life is going to be trash. But there's, you know, we had, I want to say it was four people a day. My wife quit her job to do this because we had people in our house almost every single day of the week because our child was exposed to drugs in the womb because her mother was, you know, was using crystal meth. And so we had people in our house every single day of the week. And it was painful because they just sit there and they're, you know, we had an infant. What are you going to do with an infant? There's not much they can do. We had a speech therapist and he would just sit there and roll around little cars. And, and it's like, really? This girl, she stood up seven months. She was seven months old. I used to keep her next to my desk because I you know, I was a writer and all that. And she stood right up next to me and she would sit next to me and play with my baseball. I had a baseball. She'd sat right there. She's walking at eight months now because she wasn't talking They're like, oh, she's got real problems. She started talking in December. I walk in the door and she says, dada. I'm like, okay, there you go. You know, kids are different. Mm -hmm. They just, but they use these labels and it just puts a permanent stigma on a kid once they get that label. And so one of the things I would encourage people who are getting into fostering is get to know the kid before you are, because the, the social worker pushes you to get the label. At least they did in Michigan. They pushed us to get her labeled with all these issues. And by 12 months, she was at the, everything about her, you know, it was, now we had some hard months because she was a hard sleeper. She did not like going to sleep, which is a signal, you know, is, which is part of the problem when a drug exposed child. But after 12 months, she was like the golden child. She was perfect. She was talking, eating, everything you could imagine. But before that, it was all super challenging but could we unlabel her? No, we couldn't get her off of those. Even though, mm. you know, her evaluations, she was passing her evaluations, but she was still labeled. And you know, it's it's just a challenge.
0: Well guys, we've gone for about an hour now. Do you guys want to add something else to this conversation? Then if you got anything you want to plug, you go going to plug that as well.
2: Um I don't ha- really have anything to plug necessarily. I will just say, I mean, if if I have two pleas to to the audience in, in general, the churches specifically is, I mean, just get involved, help anyone you can. Uh, if, if there's not someone in your church that's already fostering, maybe, it, maybe it's you, <laughs> maybe it's you that, that needs to step up. Um, if there is someone just reach out, see how, see how you can help them out. And then the other thing would be, uh, I'm open to any idea on how we can fix the problem at the root and not have to wait till the state has to get involved with families to get these kids out of bad situations or help the families not to get into situations to begin with um, I'm all ears and that, that is what I'm going to be an advocate for any way I can so
1: yeah I would say the same you know as much as I am down on the fostering because of having to be involved with the state that's the system we have yeah and unfortunately that's the system we have and so we're gonna do it again. And as painful as it is, I want, you know, these are children created in the image of God, and they need whatever kind of stability they can get, whatever positive experiences they can get. And so I would encourage people the exact same thing. Get involved in fostering. Do it. Foster to adopt. Do, you know, foster just temporary short term. Foster for the rad kids. That's a whole nother, we didn't even talk about rad kids. But get involved, and then if somebody wanted to buy my book, it would be greatly appreciated. It is called Emily's Tears. It's a it's a ter- tear jerker. I purposely kept it short because I wanted people to feel the emotional roller coaster of what it feels like to have, you know, because we consider her still our daughter. Mm-hmm. Even though we haven't had her now in a couple of years, we picked her up from the hospital. We left with her from the hospital, and we raised her for 17 months. She will always be our daughter.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amen.
1: Yeah. That book
0: is great. He, he's, <laughs> you you can really hear, hear him, coming through like his, his frustration with, with what's going on. And yeah, I, I would encourage anybody to, to pick it up. Emily's tears. It's a good book. And I appreciate you sending it to me. and Let me uh, read it before we talk today. It was, uh, yeah, go pick it up. But guys, I really appreciate your time and coming on and talking about this and I hope I don't, I guess maybe we didn't cover everything. I was, we could probably talk for hours about this, but, We'll do it again sometime. Maybe something will come up, and we'll we'll talk about it some more. And, and maybe if some anybody listening to the show has any input on it, we can bring them on. And we can talk about it as well. And we can get this fixed. We just just got to keep talking about it.
1: Yep. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week on the Bad Roman Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you find your podcasts to never miss an episode. And while you're at it, if you like what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, it really helps people find us. 100% of donations are given to local charities in Memphis, Tennessee. To learn more about The Bad Roman Project and to find show notes, please visit TheBadRoman.com.